Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I am still enjoying this unseasonably warm weather. How about you? 
Mm, well, we've had a bit of, well, shifts in the weather. It is back to unseasonably warm, and we're going to have another day of that before we get some more wind, and then back to cold. So it's been a little bit of a change all over the year. Which, after all, since it is mid-December, in fact, on a solstice, yes. next next um, show will be solstice, right? Mm-hmm, yes. It's coming around. Um, everything is moving fast. Time seems to be moving fast. <laughs> <laughs> <Right> now. <laughs> yes, on yeah. Thursday, I did a tele-seminar with uh, Donna Hens, who does celestially auspicious occasions, a lot of equinoxes and solstices. She's most well-known for her egg balancing at equinox, right? Solstice mm-hmm. means literally soul, S-O-L, sun, stasis, and stasis, sun still. The sun stands still. <clears throat> and if you're, like, watching where the sun is rising and setting, you see it moving along the horizon day by day. And then at solstice, it stands still, and then it goes back the other way. Mm-hmm. And... Most of us don't have a clear enough view of the horizon and the sun to really see the progression of the sun as it moves from solstice to solstice. But equinox is equa, equal night. So day and night are equal. And Donna Hands, who did the teleseminar with me, has for decades held a egg-balancing ceremony at the exact time of the equinox. Not like, oh, you know, it's a three-day holiday anytime in there, which is fine. Really fine in terms of celebrating, but she says for balancing eggs, it has to be like the time, the specific time. And so she used to do it at the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. And then they had there was this big fountain that was never turned on where they could balance the eggs. And she was talking about what you have to do to balance an egg. She said, you have to let go of your ego. You have to let go of desire. You have to be one. You know, this, this is a wonderful, you know, kind of urban shaman talk. And um, so this past equinox, because the equinoxes are in between the solstices, she went, of course, not to that side, but to a new site, at the time of the equinox, which was something like 4 a.m., before 12 a.m., and there were four other people who showed up. Her mm-hmm. local grocer donates 30 dozen eggs for people to stand on end. Oh, my because there are really hundreds of people, right? So Donna looked at these four women and she said, let's go. And she said she doesn't know how they managed it, but the five of them balanced 360 eggs in less than an hour. Wow. Magical. So magical. So magical, yes. And she's doing a virtual solstice ceremony. So Donna... D-O-N-N-A, Hens, H-E-N-E-S, Urban Shaman Mama Donna. Um, you might want to check in with what she's doing. Are you? Do you have any specific plans for solstice? Um, well, I intend to gather 
after the solstice with a couple of friends here. They're going to come over. We're going to gather outside. Um, I will be doing my own thing, and um, my husband and I will do a little some things. But honestly, since the since the eclipse last week, I think it it already feels like it's engaged for me. Um, and then I learned yesterday was St. Lucia's Day, and in Sweden they celebrate that um, along with the solstice, and I was learning more about that. And um, I just, yes, the veils seem really thin still right now, and the power of the depths of the dark of things coming through. Deja vu has been really present for me in the last, especially, Um but just a really interesting last, like, eight days, I would say. So I I don't know what the solstice will bring. I'm going to bring spontaneity to the solstice and see where we go from there. <laughs> I love that. Tell us a little more, if you will, about St. Lucia. Oh, okay. So I learned this morning, um, actually last night, they had this quick blurb on the news. And uh, so celebrated first, a little bit disputed as to when in the fourth century or maybe as early as 700. um, And she allegedly brought food to people that were hiding out in the caves in Sweden, the Roman empire was the Roman Christians, Catholics were conquering and they were the last holdouts, but they had no food and she was trying to bring as much as she could. So she needed both hands. And in order to do that, she wore a wreath on her head of candles so that she could see her way and still carry as much as she could into the catacombs, into the caverns where the people were hiding. And um, so she doesn't really matter if you're Catholic or Lutheran or Protestant, she's one of the few women saints who's recognized across you know, a lot of different Christian religions with the same story. So women there, young women, um, dress in white robes, but then they tie a red sash around their waist that drapes right down in front, really between their legs, and it's red for blood to show what occurred and what um, sacrifice and what a martyr she was in doing that. Wow. Yeah. Lots of symbolism, lots of symbolism and 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 the return of the light, which is what the winter solstice is, it is literally the return of the light. Yes, yes, I know. It's midwinter. Yes, I know it's going to get colder. It is. It's true. But Again, if you're really out there watching the sun, it stands still, and then it starts rising a little bit to the other side of where it was, and the days get a little bit longer, just a little bit longer every day. So we got another week of the days getting shorter, 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 and then the dark will rain, and boom, we'll be right on the other side of it. So that that image of, you know, the woman with the light on her head, with the candles on a wreath on her head so that she has both hands free to take food, to nourish. 
Mm-hmm. Mm. Thank you for that. Oh, thanks for allowing me to share. Thanks, thank her for presenting yesterday. Blessed be. Blessed be indeed. Mm-hmm. And as always, we have a fascinating guest who's going to show up around nine o'clock, and that is Marilyn K. Roach. She's a writer, illustrator, researcher, and presenter of talks on all kinds of interesting things, including witches, and that's what we're going to be talking about, and with a special emphasis on how herbs and herbalism figured in the witchcraft trials. So, in Salem, stay with us until 9 o'clock or come back and you'll get to hear what Marilyn K. Roach has to share with us about what happened uh, to our ancestors. Good time of the year for it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Are there any people with questions tonight? Uh, yes, we have three callers that have already queued up with their questions by pressing one on their keypad. I see lots of other callers listening in, and I'll let everyone know that if you have a call, a question on the call tonight, please press one so that you line yourself up in the queue. Our first caller has dialed in from the 504 area code. From the 504, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. I called in about two weeks ago. I'm the family medicine doc in New Orleans, and I wanted to give you a good report. Um, I've made it through 10 weeks of consistent, consistently drinking my nourishing herbal infusions in rotation because the goal is to get wonderfully, marvelously old. <laughs> I've been going through your archive shows, my mom's hypertension. <laughs> days of infusions has been eliminated. No more medication. Um, I've told 20 patients about the nourishing herbal infusion. I've referred them to your books and to your website. Um, I had a question about meeting patients who are in their women who are in their 60s and over who have total hysterectomies in their 20s. I've been referring them to your book, New Menopausal Years, but I wanted some insight, if possible, about things that I can share with them in that doctor-patient moment when we have, when they're open, you know. Not every patient is necessarily open, but I still mention things that I think aren't covered in medical school. I'm sure you've heard of the phenomenon called phantom limb. Yes, ma'am. And it's not just that these people are pretending. I mean, they really experience and feel that limb, right? Right. So I suggest that women create a phantom uterus and a phantom ovaries if they've been removed surgically.
the phantom limb is a problem because it can be very, very painful. But phantom things that we create ourselves aren't. As a matter of fact, I had a lot of pain, a lot of trapped fear from the surgery, and just a lot of real sadness in my coccyx. I expected that I would have a big emotional reaction to um, having my uterus removed. I did retain my ovaries. Um, but the, my emotional reaction was really around the removal of my coccyx. Mm. And when I created a phantom coccyx, it's been much better. I can sit better. You're blowing my mind. I love it. It makes sense. Because my brain really doesn't know what's gone on, does it? Not at all. Hmm. Wow. Now, here's the other thing. Human women make 30 different kinds of estrogen. We start making 29 kinds in utero, and we're still making them the day we take our last breath. One of my first yoga teachers was a woman whose uterus and ovaries were removed in her 20s, and she never in her life took a hormone. She's a vigorous, healthy woman up until the time when she moved away, and I lost track of her, and she was in her mid-60s at that point. I certainly, as a woman of 76, don't feel that I need to take any hormones of any kind. So that's one of the first things that I suggest to women in that situation is, have you thought about letting go of the hormones? Especially since most women who have their uterus and ovaries removed at a young age are given hormones that mimic the fertile woman's hormones. That's right. And they're not. Mm-hmm. So it's a confusing thing to tell the body. And I don't see that there's any particular use of it. It's not like the ovaries are the only source of estrogen. All the adipose tissue produces estrogen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? The adrenals. Because we make 30 different kinds of estrogen, it makes the estrogen receptor um, pretty forgiving. Mm. Like I tell my students, the sugar receptor is just anything goes. It is, you know, just anything will fit in the sugar receptor. But bitter, there's like over two dozen different receptors for bitter. Because we got to know whether it's bitter from minerals, bitter from tonic alkaloids, or bitter will kill you. But 
sweet, it's okay. It's just sweet. It's good for you. I love that you've gotten such good results with the nourishing herbal infusions. Me too. Thank you. Thank you so much it's for just, being. No, it's, it's so easy and it's so good for all of us and for the planet. And wow, you know, wow. people drinking more nettle and more oat straw. Hmm. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. A lot better than what's happening with the essential oils. I had to get rid of my essential oils, Susan. It was tough. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I got rid of it. It's tough condensing, folks, just how serious they are, though. <laughs> like, it's a drug. Put it down. It's a drug. <laughs> just, you know, it's okay. You know, we can use drugs. There are times right. to use drugs. There are times. But we're not going to confuse right after and with willow bark. Right. Right. That's all. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing this with other people and for using your position of influence to influence people to be well. Thank you. I don't have to tell you that I have to warn most people but they have to watch out for themselves because the doctor has nooses on their neck. The insurance yes, company, license, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? One mm-hmm. wrong step and ooh, you're hung. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I feel that we we swore an oath to do no harm. And I know that a lot of times that can be a compromising path for some, but if we're honest, a lot of the things we're trained to do are harming patients. And I, I'm moving. I, I don't want to do that anymore. Flat out. I, I bow to these... you. Thank you. <laughs> deep bow. Deep bow to you, Susan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a nicer way to do it. Yeah. Nourish the body. Nourish, nourish. nourish the whole being. Yes. And, yes. and miracles, miracles happen. They took my blood pressure today and they looked at me and said, you cannot have a blood pressure of 114 over 70. You're 76. This doesn't, it's not <laughs> true. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Said, this. Well, <laughs> My mom's the Sorry, same way. But... She's like, what's in this thing, Exato? Mom, it's a single herb. Trust me. Just rotate through. Stay the course. It. <laughs> it's, it's a weed. Promise. <laughs> it's really joyful, and it, it's really, it's bringing the joy back into why I got into this in the first place. So thank you for that gift. <sighs> I'm very, very blessed to hear that. Call back again. Keep sharing as uh, as the miracles unfold. I will. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night.
right. Looks like we have three callers that have raised their hand by pressing one on their telephone keypad. Our next caller is calling in from the 608 area code. From the 608, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi, what's up tonight? Yeah, I can. Um, what's up tonight? Um, first of all, I, that, that last um, conversation was just beautiful. So, so moving. Isn't Thank it? you so much. Yeah. I'm glad I was present for that. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I have a couple of questions, and I'll, I'll try to try to keep it short. Um, question has to do with uh, my my indoor sunroom that I use for starting seeds, and I have a, a couple of house plants out there. Um, last year, I had a problem with white fly and uh, scale. I had to remove all the soil from all my potted plants, and uh, I know the challenge is keeping, you know, and I bring some of my plants in, and I wanted to mention, too, that you were talking about basil and experimenting with keeping basil indoors, and I'll tell you, if you're going to have a chance of keeping basil indoors, get yourself African blue basil. Do you know about it? I've never heard of African blue basil. What an intriguing name. Tell me. It's a hybrid, and uh, so it only propagates from, uh, you know, cuttings. Um, but it's a, it was designed to be a perennial uh, basil plant. And uh, it, it's only perennial in Zone 11, although I did live in California for a while and was able to keep it going. I was in the Bay Area, and I was able to keep a, a couple of shrubs going for a few years. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that, uh, so anyway, so I bring in my blue basil in the winter, um, but that also means, you know, if there's anything in the soil there, it could infect other things on the deck. And, and when you don't have that natural predator, uh, uh, pressure, uh, you know, I, I'm concerned about how to, yeah. how to keep, so there's a couple, there's a couple of things that I do. And that is, I keep the plants a little on the cool side. Okay. Which discourages okay. many of those insects. Mm-hmm. And if I do get insects, anything other than scale, I put the plant in the shower. Really? So you just let, what, cold water rain on it or something? Yeah. Oh. Okay, now my, my water go, is. Then I go water-ish. over it, you know, and kind of look to see if anybody's hiding under a leaf. Okay. And I have like a, a you know, a hose, you know, one of those hose, hand, handheld hose things in my shower. Oh, oh, too bad for those hiding under the leaf things. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, what What about. Uh, the fact that it's city water and it has chlorine in it, is that going to be a problem? I think it would kill the insects even better. Oh, yeah, it probably would. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for that. that that's wonderful. Yeah, and then, oh. and then let me also repeat my favorite thing that I learned from organic gardening, which is that mm-hmm. every insect pest of plants 
carries in its gut things that are lethal to it, just like we do, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So you can take, like if there's a heavy infestation of, say, white fly, and there's a lot of white fly on a stalk or a leaf, you take that, mm-hmm. drop it into some water in your blender, blend it up, strain it so that there's no plant matter left in it, and put it in a spray bottle and spray it on the remaining insects, and it generally kills them. That's amazing. So can I just ask you briefly, could you explain the mechanism there? Well, yes. Let's, you know, let's make it really personal. What would your health be like if somebody sprayed you with ground-up human being? It'd be pretty unhealthy. <laughs> right, including their guts. Yeah, okay. Every okay. organism carries within it things that are lethal to it, is oh. what organic gardening Got it. Thank you. Oh, that's, that's concise. Yeah, I get that. Thank you. Um, could I yeah, that well, to thanks to, to the Rodales. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They've, yeah, they've, they 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 were really important to uh, a lot of us before there was, um, you know, any other place that we could really turn for advice other than from Ortho. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, now we have regenerative agriculture and all kinds of online gardening programs and, you know, all kinds of places to buy herbs. But I'll tell you, back back then in the 50s and 60s, there was very little. So organic mm-hmm. gardening was uh, a real um, light for a great many of us. And as I said, that was one of the very favorite things I learned from them. Oh, fantastic. Wow. Okay, I'm yeah. keeping that in my pocket for sure. Yeah, the scale is harder uh-huh. because okay. you can't wash it off. Right. You can scrape it off, but it's hard to get enough scraped off to really even put in your blender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, at the mild end, when I see it start, I just assiduously take it off, take it off, take it off, take it off. And if I have to, mm-hmm. even wipe down the leaves with witch hazel. Witch hazel, great. Mm-hmm. And at the other end, I say, you are too far gone outside, freeze to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't want it spreading. Yep. Okay. Okay, good. Because when it's really so, bad, they get like down into the crown where the stuff is growing and you really can't get to them. Um, At least that's been my experience. Okay. So, there's, um, you know, there's safer stuff. You know mm-hmm. that brand name? Yeah, safer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's, I, I, do, I do keep some of those yeah, on hand too. And if I'm really struggling with any of those things, I might resort to some safer you know, I probably mm-hmm. use like a bottle every 10 years, so I'm not using mm-hmm. much of it, but sometimes I'm glad to have that extra assistance. Yeah. 
Okay. And are you referring to the soap, the insecticide soap, or, or something a little Yeah, they make a whole different. bunch of different stuff. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll look into that. That's great. Yeah, check, check it out. You know, okay. I think I have one that is supposed to, you know, supposedly like it isn't good for anything. Mm-hmm. And then they have ones that are, are more specific for indoor plants. Yeah. Okay. All right. Wow. Thank you. So, African uh, blue basil. Come to yeah. me. Come to me, African blue basil. I am calling you. Hopefully yeah, there's an African blue basil in my future. Hopefully. I imagine there's a nursery probably right in your, your area that carries them in, in the spring. I bet. All right. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> so meanwhile, is it? Is there any chance that I could uh, possibly uh, um, ask another question? Do you have time for another question? We have to ask Sarah Ellen. Uh, We've got three listeners that have queued up with questions. So you can ask a question, but I'm going to give you a very short answer. Okay. All right. Um, So it's... Basically, what it deals with is that I'm occasionally running into people that have been been very intuitive or psychically sensitive, and I know you've dealt with situations like this before, who are perceiving things that, to me, might be unrealistically paranoid, Um, you know, nightmarish visions, Um, people who normally are very much on cue and understand, you know, situation. You know, I know there are there are horrifying things in the world. You know, I know there's a kind of a Caligula archetype out there in the world right now, but it's not pervading everywhere. How do I even begin to to talk to people about these things in in a way that's loving and not, it doesn't shame them? Do you understand my question? I do understand very much what you're saying, and there's not really a short answer except this. Paranoia is never justified. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I've told almost everybody around me, if I ever seem that I am paranoid, I want you to immediately tell me and tell me that something is wrong. So mm-hmm. I go for pronoia which is the unfounded belief that the world is out to do good things to me. And I have found that if people are doing things that I don't like, the very best remedy is to envision that person on a throne and then bring to them all of the wonders of the world. At the very, very least, we can say that doing that will make your headspace more pleasant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But the vast majority of the time, it actually seems to have an influence on that person. That's wonderful. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. I I appreciate that. I'm going to let you go the next person and green blessings to you. Green blessings. 
All right. It does like one of our callers must have dropped off or gotten disconnected. So at this time we have two callers with their hands raised. And I'll remind everyone, if you have a question, do remember to press one. Our next caller is calling in from the 559 area code. From the 559, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm calling to ask you if what I'm doing sounds like I'm on the right track. I have an ear. I think I possibly have an ear infection. And um, it started last month, maybe. My ear just was itchy. And I um, it was really itchy. I actually woke up scratching it. And I thought that maybe it was just irritated. So I did a little bit of warm olive oil in my ear like my mom used to do for me and that was soothing but then last Tuesday I felt so dizzy I actually threw up and so that's when I started to ask myself if I had an infection and um, I thought maybe that's what was going on. I was having some sinus congestion also. And so then I started working with Echinacea and, and St. Jonesport um, because I didn't know if it was bacterial or viral. So I've been taking that since Saturday about three times a day, the full dose of Echinacea and one dropper full of St. Jonesport. And I started feeling better, but um, yesterday I felt like a sensation in the same ear that it wasn't quite like painful, but it was felt like it was getting stronger and like more intense and like the pressure was building up. And I thought, oh, wow, I think maybe my ear is going to drain. Like maybe there's been something in there and it's going to drain. But then nothing happened. And so um, that, so I'm just wondering if it sounds like a good idea if I'm on the right track with echinacea or if I should be doing something else. (laughs) I don't think that you're doing yourself any harm at all. Okay. I Mm -hmm. do think that you need to educate yourself a little more. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you been looking at pictures of the inner ear? So actually, Susan, I um I asked you well, I asked my dream to tell me what was going on and you showed up in my dream and you drew a picture in sand on uh, of um one of those seashells, you know, the the um spiral seashells. Um, I forget what they're called right now. (laughs) Yeah. And you said, look into this. And so then I started looking up pictures of these seashells. And and then I found out that um, that's the the inner ear looks like that spiral um, seashell. So I I looked at that. (laughs) Good. Good. That's what I want you to do is to, to look more deeply into your ear. And get a sense from looking at what it's supposed to look like. 
I don't know if you listened to the teleseminar that I did last summer with Susie Mazzoli, who's my personal um, and family energy healer, as well as for lots of other people. And when I asked her, well, what do you do when you do an energy healing? She says, I just envision everything being exactly as it's supposed to be. She said, okay. uh, she says, I don't really spend any time thinking about what's wrong or how that can be corrected. I just envision what's, what the perfection is. Mm-hmm. You can't hurt yourself by taking echinacea. You can't hurt yourself by taking hypericum. So you're using systemic things to possibly treat an ear infection. And if you're wrong about it being an ear infection, you haven't hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you're right, then you will be symptom-free. I like that you poured warm olive oil in your ear. I like that your mom did that. And, of course, herbalists do it one better by adding some kind of herb to it. And the easiest to add is garlic. Mm -hmm. You can chop or slice up some garlic, pour some olive oil over it, let it sit for a little while, then warm it up a little bit and drip it in the ear. You don't necessarily want to put the garlic in your ear. But it wouldn't be a problem if you did put the garlic in your ear because nothing can get into your ear unless your eardrum is perforated, and it shouldn't be, which is another reason why I wanted you to look at pictures of your ear so you would know that your ear actually can't drain. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So if there's an infection in the inner ear, it's on the other side of the eardrum, and if something is coming out of your ear, then your eardrum is perforated, and that's a problem. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the inner ear, then, it, um, if there is something behind there, um, how would it have gotten into there? <laughs> Um, Are you breathing? Yes, I'm breathing. Mm-hmm. There are bacteria, viruses, and fungal spores in every breath you take. Mm. Your body okay. is loaded with them. Mm-hmm. And if they find a place they like, they do their best to set up housekeeping. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. Children tend to get more ear infections because the eustachian tube, which is a tube that goes from the inner ear into the mouth, is more level. As we age, our skulls elongate, right? A baby's skull is more round. And as we get older, our skull grows up in the eustachian tube. Therefore, the, the, where the eustachian tube comes out in the ear is higher than where it comes out in the upper back jaw. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, when children get a lot of ear infections, they have a tube put in to allow their ear mm-hmm. to drain, with, right? Mm-hmm. So you can generally, with your fingers, feel the end of the eustachian tube that's in your mouth. It's back behind your wisdom teeth or your your back molars if your wisdom teeth have been removed. Feel around and you'll feel like the end of a little something, tube. And that's one way the bacteria can get in there and sometimes massaging that can help relieve pain in the ear. <sighs> that sounds good. So the short answer to your question is you're not doing yourself any harm. Great. <laughs> good for you. I'm glad you're taking care <laughs> of yourself. Thank you, and thank you so much. Thank you for coming into my dream, Susan. I really, I love meeting you there. It's been, <laughs> it was so much fun. <laughs> it is, it is. Good night. Good bless. Good bless. Good night. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Uh, it is so fun when you come into my dreams, too. So thanks. <laughs> Um, at this time, we have one caller that has pressed when one. When the IRS to... audited, you know, when the IRS audited me, I told them that I should be allowed to take my bedroom as workspace. <laughs> I agree. I I will sign but up. But he said I couldn't. So I, <laughs> I, I said, "Be a medic. I do it. People's dreams. You should let me." <laughs> they looked at me. Come on, lady. <laughs> oh, it was two uh... women. It was two women. We had a great time well, together. Yes. Oh, I love. <laughs> I love that. They wound up giving me money instead of asking for money from me. So. Oh, bless it. That's a great <laughs> oh my goodness! All right. Well, for everyone tonight, if you have a question that you would like to ask Susan directly tonight, please do press one on your keypad. We have about mm, 42 minutes before our guest joins us, and I see we have one caller at this time that has raised their hand. You ready for that one, Susan? Definitely. All right. Here we go. Uh, From the 703 is our next caller. Calling in from the 703, you are live with Susan. Hi. Um, Hi, Susan. Thank you for all of your help before I called a few times and asked you some questions, and it really helped me. This time I have questions. I I did my booster uh, shot for COVID on uh, November 5th. With the first one and second one, I had some, for first one, nothing, but second one, I had like flu-like symptoms for a couple of days, but it went away. For the third booster shot, which was uh, seven, eight months later, uh, November 5th, when I did that, um, for four days I was uh, kind of sick, very weak uh, symptoms, but the like my chill and um, 
I didn't, I didn't get much fever, but those symptoms went away. But one thing I noticed that uh, my body gradually changed. My body become little by little very fatigued. I, um, and my, um, I had, I used to go to the bathroom regularly every day. So I start having more bloated and not feeling urge to go. And it's become every day um, kind of uh, more and more. And today even I couldn't even get up from the bed. So I called my doctor's office and I told them um, to do some blood work. While well, I talked to the doctor and they told send me for some blood work. They wanted to do x-ray of my chest and my abdomen. I told them, no, I don't have any pain. I have just my whole body like a sore. It's like a, I don't have a fever, but I'm very sore, um, tired, fatigued. Um, so I'm bloated. I know because of um, the body does not eliminate the waste, I become like this um, weak. Um, so as they, they send me for some blood work. I did it this evening, but um, I wish, I wish to stop you for a moment. Sure. No one has ever died from constipation. Okay. There are no health repercussions of any kind mm-hmm. from constipation. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the things that the large intestine does is to remove mm-hmm. energy from the food. Mm-hmm. And the less energy that there is in the food and the more energy that we need, the less often we will have a bowel movement. When you're Mm -hmm. tired, it is the natural, healthy response of the body to not Mm -hmm. eliminate as frequently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you just said that you're tired because you're not eliminating. And I'm saying, no, it's the other way around. Oh, okay. I don't know, but I'm just worried. I hope nothing serious going on um, with my health. Um, the I do not think there's anything serious going on. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What, what happens when we get a vaccination? Our body becomes weak for a few days, but it's like a more than a month right now. The body does not become weak from a vaccination. Mm-hmm. A vaccination puts into your body mm-hmm. an organism, mm-hmm. usually a virus, that yeah. your body can then learn to recognize and kill. Yes? Yes. The point of the vaccination is to train your body to recognize that organism and kill it. Mm-hmm. Each time that organism enters your body after the first time, your body tries to kill it. The first time it comes in, your body can't try to kill it because it's never seen it before. Mm-hmm. 
but the vaccination works. It's magic. Certainly not magic at all. Right? In that, now your immune system recognizes it. So the second time, your immune system says, ha, 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 I know you. You're up to no good. We're going to get rid of you. And then the third time, the immune system says, ah, back again. This time we're really going to be severe. So, in fact, I would say that what you're describing, again, is a very healthy response. Okay. In terms of you're being tired, are you drinking nourishing herbal infusion at this point? Yes. Yes. No, no. Yes, I'm doing it um, regularly uh, for a couple of months. I think three months ago I talked to you. And I'm doing it regularly. No, I have no problem. My body was in the best stage of, I feel like healthy. But the reason, Susan, I'm just saying it, because 2009, 2009, I was diagnosed with stage zero breast cancer, DCIS on my left breast, and I did lumpectomy. And a lot of people told me, why didn't you do radiation? Why didn't you just to do mastectomy? I said, I didn't. My doctor told me I don't need it. They just put me on Tamaxone for five years. And then they told me every, every year I'm doing mammogram. I'm all okay with it. And nothing after that. And then my lung, I have a mild asthma, which um, I don't take any medication for it. I'm just doing it naturally with a lot of breathing and herbal infusions um, to, to work on it. So I feel like the doctor today told me, maybe we need to do an x-ray of your chest. I said, but my chest is okay, or abdominal. I said, but my abdominal, I don't have any pain. I just want to know anything serious going on with my body. I don't know. I do herbal infusion. I watch my diet. I exercise. I do yoga. And I don't take any uh, prescription. I just take... I'm just saying I'm just take my calcium uh, medication or vitamin D3 because of my osteoporosis. And um, that's all. So I'm just wondering anything. That women who take calcium supplements are twice as likely to break a bone as women who don't? I just take a calcium because the doctor told me you have to take calcium. Do you know that women who take calcium supplements are twice as likely to break a bone as women who don't? Yeah. Because the only thing that I know... Stop it. Stop Mm -hmm. taking a calcium supplement. It does not make your bones healthy. Okay. How about... Are you eating any yogurt? I do kaffir, one cup of kaffir every day. You do uh, you drink a cup of coffee every day? Ka- kafir. Is that what you said? Kafir. Yes. Kafir. I got kafir. Yes. yes. Sounds good to me. Is it real kafir? Is it made with milk or is it water kafir? No, no. I make my own kafir with the organic. You make your own. Um, Fabulous. Yes. Was, okay. Yes. All right. Mm. With the organic grass-fed milk. So, and, so and you certainly do not, need, do not need a calcium supplement of any kind. Mm. Your doctor is just wrong I, to tell you to take yes. And your doctor is not up on the information, and the doctor it does not have your best interest really at heart. And mm-hmm. um, last week I talked to Susan Brown. 
and okay. she would say, if you know, if you're concerned about your bones, then take the pH of your urine when you wake up in the morning and see what it is, and adjust it because that's going to have more influence on your bones, and that calcium supplements make you, you can see in your urine that the calcium supplement is weakening your bones. So pH you said the first thing in the morning to check my pH A, which is you take, acid. Check the pH acid? of yes, and it should be yes. alkaline or neutral. Yes, I know uh, because I feel like my it's, I can I can feel that my body is more acidic right now this month. I can feel it, um, but I don't know how to test pH. Every, every morning when I wake up, I don't know how to test it. Oh, you um, don't have to do it every morning. You can just do it once. And at the drugstore, they sell test strips. I'll test it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If it's a uh, body's acidic, um, I I eat vegetables. I know I don't eat a lot of. I don't eat sweet. Um, so I watch my diet. So I don't know why it's still my body is acidic. Maybe that's because of that. It could be that you are not cooking the fruits and vegetables that you eat sufficiently. Maybe. You're right. Maybe. Mm, because of that. Okay. Thank you. And also, remember I want to ask you something. Remember that food mm-hmm. especially is very acidic. Yes. Fruits. And fruit is very acidic, right? And fruit juice is very acidic. Yeah. And so cook, cooked fruit helps to reduce the acidity, mm-hmm. as does, you know, the traditional things. It's not for nothing that cheese is put on apple pie. The milk, okay. and especially the milk fat, reduces the acidity. Milk fat. I use the whole milk. The only right, milk or whipped cream or, you know, any of the usual pairings that we think of as, oh, you know, wow, you know, how decadent, and they were, you know, loaded with fat and cholesterol, and so we stopped doing that, and it's like, ah, ha, ha, but there was a reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I use yeah. regular butter. Butter, I use I use um, whole milk. I, I, I follow Wonderful. that. Um, yeah. And you never I go out in my... the sun, huh? You know what? I work all day, like, for example, I went out because the weather was nice, for like 20 minutes, I walk in mm-hmm. the sun. I do responsible mm. when there is a sun. You know, that's all it day. takes. All it takes is in 20 minutes, your body can produce 20,000 international mm. units of vitamin D. Now, it can't do it right now unless you're closer to the equator than I am. But yeah. it can do it between spring equinox and fall equinox, and that 20,000 international units is storable. Yes, I I walk, so I don't need to take a D3. You don't think I need a supplement of D3 at all, right? I, I don't. I don't. In fact, okay. all of the studies so far that have been done looking at the health benefits of vitamin D have come back pretty much empty-handed. Okay. It doesn't help prevent cancer. It doesn't help prevent dementia. It doesn't help prevent falls. It doesn't help prevent broken bones. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Certainly, okay. it is okay. a good idea I- to go out in the sun 
without your sunscreen on. So really what we have is not an epidemic of lack of vitamin D. What we have is an epidemic of people being frightened and using sunscreen. No, I don't use, summertime I use sunscreen, but not winter at all, not fall at all. Um, Summertime is the only time you can make vitamin D. Okay. And if you're using sunscreen, then you're not making vitamin D. No, but sunscreen I just put on my face on the summer. My hands and my legs, I wear saying, What I am saying is that Mm -hmm. we need to be able to expose our hands and our face Mm -hmm. and preferably our arms, at least as far up as our elbows, to the midday sun without anything covering them, no sunscreen, no cloth, and have Mm -hmm. that exposure be about 20 minutes. Sure. In that time, we'll make a large amount of vitamin D, which is durable for a long time, so that we have it for the winter time. Yeah. I would say mm-hmm. wear the sunscreen in the winter, not in the summer. Okay. Okay. If you need to wear sunscreen. I'm just but my what, I use, uh, what I use is hypericum oil, which I find is far more effective at preventing damage to my skin from the sun while allowing me to make vitamin D, which, P.S., helps prevent skin cancer. What kind of oil? I'm sorry, I didn't get it. The oil of Ericum perforatum, sometimes called St. John's wort or St. Jones wort. Okay, okay, St. John's. Susan, I want to ask you one more question. When I make my infusion, I make it usually in the morning around 6.30 in the morning because that's the time I leave the house. And then I come home sometimes 5.30, 6 o'clock. Um, I, you know, drain it and use it. Do you think it's a long hour it's going to affect it? It's not good? The only detrimental thing that could happen would be if you have left it in a place that is exceptionally warm. No, no. And then because the nourishing herbal infusions are rich in protein, Mm -hmm. being warm will often lead to bacterial growth, which will spoil Ah. the infusion and make it unsuitable for you to drink it. But you will know that that has happened. Because when protein spoils, it smells bad. No, no, it doesn't have. It doesn't. And so long as it doesn't smell bad, you're fine. As a matter of fact, many women who have men in their lives find that when the infusion smells bad to them, the man in their life will still drink it for another four or five hours before it starts to smell bad to him. Yeah. So, again, it's not going to kill you if you drink it a little Mm -hmm. bit spoiled. It's just like, ugh, I pour it on my plants or I put it in a plastic bottle and pour it over my head because they make good hair rinses. Yeah, yeah. And um nettle especially I, nettle oats linden. Oh, beautiful on your hair. No, no, I, I drink all of them. Um Wonderful. I, uh, yeah. 
I supposed to have a flu vaccine in a week, and I don't want to have the flu vaccine. Do you think I should add? And I feel like another vaccine in my body is too much um, because I'm traveling overseas. When you say you should have the flu vaccine, that is according to you? No, it's according to my doctor. They told me I need to have flu vaccine. Are you living your life or is your doctor living your life? That's my question. I told them, no, I don't want to Is your doctor there to tell you what to do? Is your doctor there to give you advice that you decide on yourself? Well, they give you my advice, and I don't listen to them a lot of times. And they put it as a decline, the patient decline. And one of the questions... The patient declined. That's right. The patient declined. Yeah. So bet. So flu vaccine also... That's what they say about me all the time. The patient declined. (laughs) Yes. So I told them, no, I don't want to take flu vaccine um, for this year. So I just wanted to, uh, do you think it's, well, I, I don't feel like my body um, can take it another vaccine right now. I am a great fan of elder. <laughs> and as soon elder. as we get past the fall equinox, Elder is my friend. It's right there for me right now. Um, I have gone through the gift bottles of elder syrup that I got last year, and I've started in on a bottle of elder syrup that I made this year with some fresh elderberries. Ooh, that's very good. I'm putting a little bit of that in my ginger fizz, Uh and often adding to that uh, some osha root. Uh, from the OSHA that Astrid sent me. So those are the things that I'm doing um, to help my body uh, deal with any flu that comes around. I'm not working in a situation where if I got the flu, it could kill someone. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think you are either. I'm a healthcare worker, but I wear masks at work. We all all wear masks. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, so long as as you're allowed, it seems safe and all right to me. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you for all of your advice and help. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. All right. Looks like at this time we do not have callers that have pressed one to signal that they have a question. Uh, we do have email questions if you would like to go there. Oh, there we go. We have a caller now with a question. Oh, there's two. So we've got one right. from the 510. Yeah, we've got a caller from the yeah. 510 who has one. So from the 510, you are live with Susan. Susan. Um my herbalist recommended that I speak to you because uh, I was considering taking an herb that she's not familiar with. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> I have uh, chronic Lyme disease, um, and I'm mostly in remission, uh, but I'm still having some issues in my vision. And I've looked at some of the literature from herbalists that she recommended, and one of the herbs that they recommended to help with that was Stephania root. Um, and I am going to start 
trying to get pregnant in January. So I think that would be an important consideration that I wanted to share with you. Somehow I didn't catch the diagnosis. Oh, okay. I have um, chronic Lyme disease. You have chronic Lyme disease? Yes. And you've had chronic Lyme disease since? Um, I started having symptoms in the summer of 2020. Uh, For about a year then? About a year, yeah. A little bit more than a year, exactly. Okay. Um, And your symptoms are? Um... I have, like, floaters and sometimes, like, spotty vision um, and uh, sometimes problems focusing my eyes. Um, And then I have some nerve issues uh, mostly on the right-hand side of my body. Um, Uh And and then, uh, like, tinnitus in my, like, in both ears, but mostly on the right side as well, like some ringing on the right side. So a lot of nerve-related mm-hmm. issues, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some, and the some things numbness. that you've done, and the things that you've done to nourish your nervous system include. Um, right now, I've been working. I mean, <laughs> lots of things. <laughs> to answer your question, um, I have a, I have a meditation practice that I've had for many many years. That I've started doing another practice that involves like visualizing. Uh, good visualization from the past and visualizing a happy future where my symptoms are gone. And um, I'm taking some nourishing herbs with uh, Sarah, my herbalist. Um, and, and when you say you're taking some nourishing herbs, can you tell me a little more about that? Yeah. Uh, I'm doing a daily infusion um, in a different herb every day. So I don't know which one uh-huh. specifically. What kind of of scale are you using? I'm using a scale. I'm using one ounce for a quart of water, and then I'm steeping them overnight. Is that what you mean? Yes. Okay. I wanted to make sure that you don't bring that out. (laughs) I measured out. That's excellent. That's perfect. Okay. Um, So oat straw is especially good for the nervous system. We're using oat straw once a week. And it certainly is a fine infusion to pour your boiling water over the oat straw. But if instead you boil your water in an open saucepan and drop the oat straw into it and stand mm-hmm. there stirring while it boils for a minute or two, it will be even stronger for the nervous system. Okay, great. So let the water boil. Many water. herbalists like milky oat tops as a nervous system ally. And they like the milky oat tops either as an infusion. I like oat straw for people just because it's a more reasonable price. And, but in your situation, you might want to think about the milky oat tops and think about whether milky oat tops tincture might be something that could be useful for you. Okay. I'm wondering what kind of 
uh, Lyme remedies you might have experimented with? I worked with a Lyme literate doctor for like uh, eight or nine months, and she gave me, I mean, she worked with herbs as well. She's a naturopath, um, and she gave me many, many, many things that I tried, including antibiotics. Um, and I do think my, I do think that there was some healing that happened with my time with her, but um, I just got to the point where I'm kind of at now where there were just these lingering symptoms that didn't really seem to go away. You know, a lot of them did, but then there were these things that didn't seem to really budge. And I found that the, some of the herbs she was giving me, I was having like an autoimmune reaction to, if that makes sense, and like having stronger symptoms when I would start taking them because she wasn't. It makes what it I, makes it makes absolute sense because you know what? One of my pet peeves is somebody who lets other people give them things that they don't know what it is. I wouldn't let a doctor give me a drug unless I knew what the drug was and what the side effects were, and I sure wouldn't let anybody give me an herb that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't let anybody put me on anything. It's my body. It's my health. It's my responsibility. It's not theirs. And if something messes up, we're going to make them responsible? What? That's not going to help us. Mm-hmm. I always advise people to avoid taking any herbs and capsules. And I suspect that a naturopathic doctor gave you a lot of herbs and capsules. There are a lot of herbs and capsules, yes. I would agree. (laughs) Many herbs and capsules. (laughs) Yeah. So guess what? I don't even consider those herbs. I consider those faux drugs. Okay. So basically, and I'm not surprised, what you did in terms of dealing with Lyme disease was to follow a naturopathic protocol, which is pretty much mow them down, line them up, kill them, and cleanse, cleanse, cleanse. Right. And none of that works. It did not work for me, no. I would would agree with that. No. No, it doesn't. Do you know the plant that we were just talking about? I was just talking about with somebody else, Hypericum perforatum. Is it St. John's wort? Is that another word for it? Yes, I call it St. John's wort because I don't like John. (laughs) Okay. John is a woman hater. The reason there are no (laughs) women priests is because of John. I'm not going to name a plant after him. Yeah, I do know it. I have. Well, if we can tear down the Confederate statues, we can call the plant St. Jones Wort and get rid of John. Okay. St. Jones Wort. I've been. <laughs> don't have been to shout out to women hating men. So, yeah. I, I, yeah. Now, have been, you been working with that plant? I have in the last um, few weeks. So I've been using a tincture in the morning and in the evening of St. Jones Wort. And do you think Perfect. that you're seeing any results from that? The biggest thing that I've noticed is, like, my mood. The, I think a combination of a lot of things just put me in a very dark space, and I've noticed that, like, I'm happier and that I'm more, like, I'm kind of a oh, good, good thing person. to notice. So let <laughs> me ask you me, this. The symptoms that you that. have, the symptoms mm-hmm. that you have, are they constant, or, or do they, like, come and go? Do they cluster? They come and go, for sure. And... 
I notice that they're worse when I'm under some sort of stress. Like I, okay. I had a moment with a friend where I was having a conflict and I, my vision started getting spotty. I was like, oh, this is so interesting. I can like see it happen in real time. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. So it's, I just, I'm always like, I always like stop and go, oh, thank you, body. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Wow. You are showing me so clearly that, uh, that I'm stressed. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Wow. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking more, um, like the, I think you said that you had, um, Not just visual problems, but hearing problems? I mean, the thing is, I can hear fine, but at night when things are really quiet, I get this ringing in my ear. So I went and saw an audiologist, and they said that they didn't see any inflammation or hearing loss. They think it probably was of the Lyme disease, too. So I, I, I personally think what you're hearing is, is um, all the stuff that's in the ear, you know? All that radio, all the radio waves, and that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff zinging through the air. Yeah. <laughs> Most sensitive people can hear a little zing. Yeah, it comes and goes. Like, it does go away. And it comes and goes. But, so, there's yeah. something you could do if you wanted to, if there was mm-hmm. like kind of a if there was kind of a peak of it, if the symptoms clustered and they kind of, you know, got disturbing to you, what you could yeah. do is take. A dropper full of hypericum tincture, anywhere from every 15 minutes to every hour. Okay. For a period of about 24 hours. Hypericum has the ability to really get at things, but it's not going to seek them out. Mm, Interesting. So, like, if... Right? So you wait until it's like out and doing its little victory dance and then you sick hypericum on it. Mm, Okay. Mm -hmm. And what I like, what I like to promote in herbal medicine is the use of simples, which is one plant at a time, local plants, and if at all possible, Plants that are people-proof. What does that mean? What's going to happen if a million people decide to drink nettle infusion? There's a lot of nettles. I don't know. (laughs) Nettle? Right. It's unlikely that nettle will be wiped from the face of the earth, huh? Okay. Yeah. Seems unlikely to me. (laughs) People-proof. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have a little quiver in my heart every night before I go to sleep that the mushrooms survive us. I'm not happy with what's happening with the popularization of mushrooms. And it's one of the reasons I found myself saying more and more that the studies on mushrooms have shown that every mushroom is a medicinal mushroom, and that includes the white ones that you buy at the supermarket. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go get chaga. Mm-hmm. Let's let's leave the wild mushrooms alone and use the cultivated ones until we really need the wild ones. But yeah, mm-hmm. eat more mushrooms. I'm all for it. But eat the cultivated ones, please. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's what I like. I like for 
it to be a plant that's pretty people-proof, kind of weedy, you know, found all over, um, a plant that um, is local to you so that if it's mm-hmm. really effective and it works for you, nobody can ever take it away from you. Hmm. Okay. And does Stephanie, do you know if that plant falls? I know you don't know where I live specifically, but do you know if it falls under the I don't even know. I don't even know exactly what it is that you are saying. Oh, Stephania, is that clear? Am I saying it wrong? Um, I may be saying is that it. a but is that a botanical name? I think so. Steph, uh, okay, that would that would be that would be a genus then. Oh, okay. Sorry. And do you have a species? No, I don't have a species. Um, okay. You can find it. Finding it in the literature, if that would help. Would that help? Stephania. Stephania, is that how you say it? Stephania, a genus of flowering plants native to southern Asia and Australia. Okay, I don't live in those places. Maybe you can tell from my accent. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you... Uh, come to find that Stefania was the perfect, and it's Stefania erecta that is used. Uh-huh. Stephen um, Buner wrote a book about healing Lyme, and uh-huh. he has a part specifically about eye problems. Uh-huh. Um, and it, I, I went through it, and I kind of, like, sat with the information, and that was a plant that showed up several different times. So yeah. he recommended tincture. But I don't think that I don't think that that he included things like goji berries, which oh, have no. perhaps the world's strongest reputation for improving eyesight. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. So again, you know, it's well, you could grow goji berries if you want to. They are, they cultivate pretty easily. I have a little goji berry plant. Oh, nice. I'm going to be like, nice. it's going to be, you know, Monica Jean's goji berry plant before there's goji berries on it. It really grows very, very slowly. But, you oh. know, you could grow goji berry. You probably could grow Stefania right. if you lived, um, you know, where where it grows. But I see this happening um, easily in herbal situations. Okay. There's over 10,000 plants um, used herbally in the world right. today. And it's pretty easy to find yourself being told that this particular one that grows far away from you is the very best one. And wow, what if you try it and it works? Then you're really mm-hmm. screwed. <laughs> I'm screwed because it's so far away and if I don't if I'm not yeah. there, Well, because you are dependent on other people finding it, harvesting it, getting it to you. You don't know what the plant looks like. You don't know Mm -hmm. if you're getting the right thing. You don't know if you're getting the right species. True. Yeah. All right. Okay. So it sounds like you're recommending. Hey, it's true if you buy nettle, too. You know, you're saying, well, somebody else is harvesting the nettle and getting it to me. But you probably have some idea of, of what 
the nettle is going to look like and smell like and taste like. And if you got the wrong stuff, you'd know was, I don't think you would with Estefania. No. No, I would not know it. True. And I'm not just, like, making this up because I'm paranoid. I'm talking about Germany, where herbal medicine is legalized, and where a trained pharmacognosist ordered kava leaf instead of kava root, powdered it, had it put in the capsules. It was given to people all over Germany. And many of those people went into liver failure and had to have liver transplants. Oh, no. Jeez. I don't suggest that anybody ever use herbs that had been powdered and put in capsules by somebody else. You just really can't ever know what's in there. Even mm-hmm. trained pharmacologists in the country where it's legalized. Mm. Okay. So I think that you have a few more stones to overturn closer to home in terms mm-hmm. of your getting yourself back to being abundantly well. Mm-hmm. Keep on with your nourishing herbal infusions. Are you cooking your food well enough? Are you drinking too much water? Well, let me put it this way. Any amount of water is too much. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So okay. see what happens if you stop drinking water for a while. Okay. And you have probably heard me talk about the fact that unless you're cooking your vegetables for an hour, you're not getting much from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So give it a try. Okay. Can All I right? ask you... You you said with the um, oat straw to boil the water first and then add the oil, oat straw. Was that what you recommended? And stand there for a minute while it boils, with the oat straw boiling in it. Yeah. Okay, and let it. And let These it are not herbs or, that contain volatiles. As a matter of fact, herbs that contain volatiles we wouldn't use for a nourishing herbal infusion. So boiling it is not going to boil anything out of it, except mm-hmm. minerals, which are going to be in the water you're drinking. Okay. Boil the water and then let the oat straw stand in the boiling water for a minute and then turn it off. Stir it while it's boiling in the water for a minute. Stand there at the stove stirring it. Okay, stir for a minute. Okay. And then like, let it it's, the it's boiling. Right, and you may even yeah. need to turn the fire down a little bit so it doesn't like all over the stove. Right, right. Okay, and same same ratio, like an ounce to a quart of water. That's right, and you can just put the lid on the pot and let it brew in the pot. That's fine, or you can pour it in a jar, whichever works better for you. Okay, and let it brew overnight, like 24 hours? or That's what I've been doing. I've been doing them, like, when I go to sleep and then when I get up in the morning, I've been taking the herbs out. That that sounds perfect. Okay. Not 24 hours. Usually, like, more like No, straight. I'm not sleeping 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, more like 12. Yeah, yeah. Okay, more like great. 10 hours, yeah. Yeah, okay. it works for many people to do it at night and have it ready the next yeah. morning. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I really, um, my sense is that um, this is just the last little bit of this. And, um, and there's like, um, 
you that's still holding her breath? Yeah. Can you feel? <laughs> can you feel her? And when she exhales, it, these last bits are going to just float away in her exhale. Okay. She that needs to be great. safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can offer her that. Okay. All great right. Blessing. Have a great. Thank you. Great blessing. Good. All right, and it looks like we are just a minute under when our guest is scheduled to join us, and she is already here. Would you like to move on to the introduction, or? Let's do that. Let's introduce Marilyn K. Roach, freelance writer, illustrator, researcher, and presenter of talks on historical subjects. Marilyn K. Roach, writer, illustrator, and confirmed history nerd, has published articles for journals as diverse as the New England Historical and Genealogical Register, the Lizzie Borden Quarterly, and has written nine books, including The Salem Witch Trials, a day-by-day chronicle of a community under siege, and the biographical Six Women of Salem. As a member of the Gallows Hill group, she helped verify the site of the 1692 witch trial hangings, a conclusion that Archaeology magazine included in its list of 2017's 10 most important discoveries. Welcome to the show, Marilyn. Thank you for inviting me. I hope we I sound as good enough. super excited that you are here and that uh, you have some things to tell us about witches and about witches and herbs. Well, a little bit about that. Uh, yeah. Of course, in so, 1692, so, when know, they said what, witch, what people mean, mean now by witch and what people meant in 1692 by witch, I don't think they're the same thing, are they? No, not at all. I mean, nowadays, uh, a, it's, a, it's a religion, a neo-pagan, Wiccan, different names for the different varieties of it. But uh, they say they're a nature-based uh, religion, and they uh, intend to do good. That's legal sense as well as its religious sense. Not someone who was actively working with the devil to do evil and make everything worse than it was already. So that's why it was against the law uh, in Europe and in European colonies. Uh, in England and English colonies like Massachusetts, it was a felony, and felons were hanged if they were found guilty. There was no burning here. That was continental Europe and Scotland. So the so the very definition of which was a person who was in league with the devil. Yes, then, not now. And in fact, there are no laws against witchcraft now. Uh and hasn't been for ooh, almost 400 years. The devil was a very 
real presence in yes. early America to the settlers, yes? Oh, yes. It was, uh, it was assumed that this was an actual entity that would well, just try to make everything worse and deceive people. And it was called the Prince of Lies, for one thing. And they should have remembered that by their own definition, uh, you couldn't trust anything from that source. So when there were visions and and apparitions, they should not have trusted that as an accurate source of what the supposed witches were supposedly up to. But everybody, well, most people seem to have panicked that year and uh, forgot that spectral evidence, which is what that would be, uh, should not be accepted in court. Unfortunately, it was. For a while, especially and, and in Salem, in the in the time of the witch trials, that was a yeah. very, very intense and particular time with uh, a lot of things coming together. Uh, yes, I mean uh, Salem itself was the county seat, and the scare began in the rural part of town. Salem Village being the name of that part of town. Uh, it was an anomaly in its own time. There had been a number of witch trials throughout New England in that century, but uh, of 121 trials previous to this that we know of, there were, mm, let's see, 83 of the actual witch trials rather than slander suits, which the accused usually won. Uh, there were only a few uh, 11 to 17 executions. The earliest records are, are scant, but there's a lot of records left, not everything from 1692, when there were about a, about 191 people I've been able to figure out uh, accused. Not everybody came to trial. They, their names show up in various testimonies, but there were at least 164 who faced some kind of legal action. And uh, let's see, in the course of it, there were 52 defendants, 30 were found guilty, 19 were hanged. So if you could survive the appalling, unsanitary conditions of the jails, you might survive this. And and people did. Yes, the jails were particularly appalling. Well, you know, sanitation was a bucket, and you hoped it was emptied enough. Uh, they were not built to house a, a lot of people at any time or or anybody for a long length of time so that once the trials started uh let's see there were four jails in three counties that were already crowded uh, but it, it all started in a time when there were a lot of real actual physical problems that people really should worry about and that it, it was just one more thing that seemed to be happening that was the last straw because there was war going on between the English colonies and Canada. Uh, French-Canadian soldiers and their Wabanaki allies were attacking frontier settlements in upstate New York, Maine, uh, New Hampshire, and uh, that was a particularly bad problem. There was a surprising attack on York, Maine, which is in the south part of Maine, entirely too close to Massachusetts that scared people. 
the the war that had been going on for a while involved also privateers licensed by either Canada or New England states to prey on each other's shipping. Uh, and there were regular pirates who would steal from anybody. The war expenses and uh, some uh, political uncertainty had made the treasury really almost empty. And uh, there was problem with the the charter of Massachusetts having been revoked by England until they could see how loyal Massachusetts was. And Massachusetts was kind of too feisty to get a new charter back anytime soon to have a legal government. And people didn't know how much self-government they would be allowed to have. The new charter actually was signed late in 91. When the witch scare started, it was on the high seas coming over from England, and people didn't know what was in it for them yet. Uh, but there were also tensions within Salem from a faction, excuse me, from a, in Salem village, people who wanted to separate from the bigger town, people who wanted to stay as part of the bigger governmental entity people within Salem Village who thought that they had chosen the wrong minister particularly, he thought he had a contract with them and found out that it was interpreted entirely differently by the people who weren't paying him. So it's winter, it's snow, it's sleet and all that. It's cold and he's running out of fuel. There's very little in the wood pile. At that point, the attack on York happened at the end of January. And shortly after that, two girls in his household started to act oddly. They complained of aches and pains and were making odd noises and crawling under the furniture. I mean, they're 9 and 11. But uh, parents didn't coddle their kids much in those days, and yet they seemed to think that there was something bad going on. And I really have no explanation, but this spiraled into the doctors who came after the family had tried home remedies, which I assume involved herbs, uh, the doc, one of the doctors figured that maybe they're bewitched, maybe they're under an evil hand. And at that point, the, the family isn't taking anybody to court at this point, but uh, the neighborhood is wondering who out there is actually casting spells to hurt them because they, they do feel some kind of pains. A neighbor suggests a folk charm, an English folk charm that's supposed to repel the bad magic. She should have known better than this because, as the ministers would warn people, this sort of thing only attracts evil spirits. And it, I guess it scared the girls enough so that they started seeing apparitions or reporting apparitions as well as feeling the pain. And because they would have at least overheard the adults speculating as to who might be the problem, they start na- naming names. If there hadn't been more leading questions than that, they start naming names. So on the 1st of March, the first hearing happens where the magistrates come out from from the middle of, from downtown Salem to the village and uh, have a hearing for three suspects, Tichuba, who was enslaved in the minister's family, who she helped make the witch cake charm that didn't work. Uh, A beggar woman, Sarah Good, who's come down in the world and is pretty cranky about that. And uh, Sarah Osborne, an an invalid who rather imprudently married her former bond servant. And there's uh, been a problem about 
the children of her first marriage inheriting her first husband's farm. So they're kind of obvious suspects. When they come to court, uh, says, uh, excuse me, Sarah Good says she's innocent. Sarah Osborne says she's innocent. And Tituba says she's innocent. But they're kind of harder on her with the questioning because of her status. And uh, she starts to sort of agree, sort of agree with what they're saying by, by saying, yes, there were witch specters, uh, but they're hurting her too. She's a victim of it as well. They they dragged her to the children invisibly, you understand, and made her hand pinch them because so, that's what they reported her specter had done. Uh, but she herself is a victim. But they take this as a confession. And by the time the day is over, she has described a number of witches. She doesn't know who the others are except for those been in court. Uh, and people are wondering who else is out there and is this a big conspiracy, which is not a good thing. So that month, March, uh, other people in the neighborhood are accused and questioned and and held for future trial. And in April, more people. And by the end of May, when the jails are full, uh, the charter arrives in Boston and a new royal governor who, because there is no, uh, the charter required Massachusetts to check all its laws and make sure they didn't contradict English common law. So they don't have a superior court yet to try anybody. So he uh, institutes a temporary court of Oyer and Terminer, which was done in England in, in situations like this or any any kind of break, supposedly. And uh, they start actually trying people in Salem in June. And the first one, Bridget Bishop, who has been suspected before and survived that, uh, is found guilty. And, uh, and there's a, a couple of things happen because of that. One of the judges, there's a board of nine, he quits. Uh, Nathaniel Salton-Stahl does not like the way the evidence uh, is being accepted, and he quits. So the rest of the court decides to consult the experts on spirit matters, which would be the Boston clergy. Their advice is don't use spectral evidence. You cannot trust it. But we trust the court to use their good judgment and just go after the real witches. Well, if they hadn't used spectral evidence, they wouldn't have found anybody considered guilty of witchcraft. But uh, the trials go on, and in July, five people who are found guilty and condemned are hanged, and in August, five more. In fact, uh, most of them that day were men. About a quarter of the people hanged were men, women. Anybody could have been accused that year. People who were poor, like Sarah Good, who didn't own anything, and uh, the richest people in Salem, the Philip and Mary English who managed to escape and get to New York. And in September, which was a very busy month, eight people are hanged at once. But by then, there is enough opposition to the way things are going because even people believe that this is possible, the devil recruiting like this. Uh, the, it, uh, it just is, makes things worse. More people are suspected and people they know and think are innocent, mainly because they are, uh, are being found guilty. So in October, things stop for a while. I think the cooler weather helped. On the 12th, Governor Fitz writes to England saying he stopped the trials. 
until we hear advice from the Crown or the Privy Council. But meanwhile, uh, people are in jail, and eventually winter is coming along. It's uh, they've been in, people who have been in jail the longest are not all that well. Some people have died of natural causes, like the lack of sanitation. So in January, since they haven't heard back from England yet, they're not tweeting across the pond. They they have to wait a long time to get message back. Uh, they have a superior court founded by now. So they're just going to have to try people, but not use spectral evidence. The superior court, which is the same one we have now in Massachusetts, uh, we don't use spectral evidence now either, uh, goes to Salem, tries a number of people. The grand jury dismisses many of the cases, and only three are found guilty, which the uh, king's attorney thinks is on in evidence no better than what they used the summer before. So there is, I believe, a hanging scheduled for like the 1st of February. But at the last minute, the governor sends a reprieve. No more hangings until we hear from England. Go on for Middlesex County and nobody is found guilty. The next month in, uh, that's February. So at this uh, trials for Suffolk County and Boston, no one's found guilty. And the last of the Essex County uh, trials, Salem's in Essex County, take place in Ipswich, and no one is found guilty. And that was the end of it in May. In July, they get an answer from the Crown saying, we trust you to do your best. So fortunately, they hadn't hanged anybody more than they already had. But uh, they did apologize for it in 1697 with a public fast ceremony where people go to church, have a, have a, 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 a sort of a group apology to God and the community when things go wrong. And that's when one of the judges, Samuel Sewell, stood up and took uh, and made an apology for his personal actions that year. By 1711, the then, the then governor signs the reversal of attainder, which clears the names of the people in the petitions that have been going on. So that just in case the mood changes in the state, uh, they won't be hanged. So, and their name is cleared. And the people who have have been hanged, their name is cleared. And in the following year, there was some money distributed because to the to the people who have survived or the bereaved families because there were jail expenses. You had to pay room and board for one thing. But not everybody's name was cleared. Some names were just left out, and the, the province of Massachusetts just didn't want to have anything more to do with this terrible calamity. So there were five more names cleared in 2001. And what I missed when I wrote my day-by-day chronicle was that there is one more that has been left out, Elizabeth Johnson, Jr., whose uh, name has been uh, petitioned for lately by some school children in Andover, her, her hometown. And last July, the Joint Theory Committee uh, passed that as, as worthy of being discussed uh, and uh, and approved uh, her, uh, her uh, the fact that she's not a witch. And so that's waiting to go through the legislature. And hopefully sometime soon the governor would sign a document that at least clears the last of the names. 
just to wrap things up. And that was the short version of what happened. And that is a very short version of what happened, yes. Well, it's quite, yeah, quite the, the chronicle. I've heard that um, at the height of it, if you said that you didn't believe in witches, it meant you were a witch. Well, they might make that excuse, and uh, that is somebody might make that excuse. And I think someone alludes to that. Uh, she, uh, she says, I, I don't even know what a witch is. But at the end of it, thought that it was possible, but it had not actually happened then and there, which it hadn't. Oh, my gosh. Uh, there wasn't a lot. <laughs> yeah. As for herbalism, uh, two of the women who were accused and actually executed, uh, some of the evidence, uh, some of the testimony against them was that there were odd uh, substances that they had around and, and the magistrate is asking them what it really meant and you get the impression they think maybe this was some you know some witchy type of concoction uh, because those two women did do some doctoring uh, and in fact Elizabeth Proctor who's the woman in the crucible the wife uh, her grandmother did do I, get, I assume it was herbalism and midwifery in uh, this, the adjacent town of Lynn. I, I, a physician had accused her of being a witch because she had good results and he didn't. That's just my guess. But uh, he did accuse her and it went to court, but she, she won. Her, her reputation was well, It's interesting continued. that you make that connection because um, that's certainly what my reading suggests to me was that in many cases throughout Europe that the witch was the midwife. Yeah. And that, that of, of course, as a midwife, um, you will use herbs because there aren't any drugs to use. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a situation where you need some help, that is what you're going to have on hand. Right. And those are generally somewhat specialized herbs. I sometimes tease that I'm so glad that we discovered bacteria <laughs> because now bacteria and microorganisms get all the blame instead of the witches. Yes, especially now. Which right back be. then, if your milk soured, it was a witch. Well, it could be. Especially right. If, you if had your male generative organ detached from your body and went flying through the air, um, having intercourse with unwary women, it was the cause. It was because of a witch, right? It, uh, there were husbands who complained about that. Mm-hmm. Not too many, not not too many, but there were some complaints. It didn't lead to anyone being found guilty, but it's an right. No, it wasn't me. It went flying off by itself to do its work. Something <laughs> oh, like that, okay, yeah. good try. And although we're laughing, uh, laughing about it now, it was had no laughing matter at all. Then I imagine oh, no, a community in which everyone was really gripped in fear, and also, as I understand it, but you're the historian. This was a Puritan community, and mm-hmm. basically, Puritans wake up in the morning and go, "What's wrong with me?" Well, you're supposed to search your soul and see if you are really on the right side. Uh, right. What's wrong with me? <laughs> What's wrong with me? Yes. 
Oh, come on, God, what's wrong with me, you know? It's like if you're not finding what's wrong with you, like... More than people give them credit for. Yeah. So it it was already a community in which there was little joy. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, uh, it, there's a lot of stereotypes about Puritans. And also, it's kind of a, mm, it encompasses different views, but uh, most people were from of the same uh, denomination. But there were Quakers also. Uh, the king's attorney, I think, was the uh, Church of England. There were some Huguenots. It, they're all and did the, did, the, did the Quakers, how were the Quakers involved in these witch trials? Did they just stay away from it? They protected? Uh, well, some of, a couple of the accused were either Quakers or had symp- or sympathized with Quakers. The actual, it wasn't illegal anymore to be a Quaker. But there were also some accusers, two families at least, the Shattucks and the Malls, thought that uh, one of the, uh, condemned Bridget Bishop had uh, killed one of their children magically or hurt them magically. Uh, one, one family had a child with various, I assume, learning disability, and the other, right. a, a child had died young. I mean, there was m- mortality there anyway, but they, they did blame her, and they were Quaker families, so. That anybody could be accused, and apparently anybody could maybe suspect the neighbors. Yeah. See, back then they blamed the witches. Now we would blame, blame the bacteria. Yes, and people who yeah. carry it. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> but herbalism so. itself was not suspect. It's just, you know, if you can do good with medicine, can you maybe do some harm with it? But... Uh, uh, the proved home remedies listed a number of, I assume they're common herbs, uh, sheep sorrel, alehoof, colt's foot, I'm reading a list, clary, licorice, celandine, uh, oregano, hyssop. Everything uh, but licorice, very common, yes. And, and the first uh, witchcraft case that we know of in Massachusetts from 1648, I think, uh, let's see, yeah, Margaret Jones of Charlestown. She used harmless, and her, the court papers haven't survived, but the governor, John Winthrop, wrote about this in his journal. And he said they were her remedies were harmless things, such as aniseed, licorice, etc. But it had extraordinary violent effects to people who were afraid of her. I think she might have had an abrasive bedside manner, because they would be... Well, she, uh, she she apparently told some people, as they said, that if they didn't use her medicine or whatever she'd recommended, that they would never be healed, and they didn't, or they had relapses, and some people were uh, possibly mm-hmm. because they were so afraid. Uh, right, right. Oh, my goodness. And it, it did not turn out well for Margaret Jones. But no. No. But uh, herbalism, uh, doctoring to some extent, was considered a good thing, as long as you did good with it, and uh, something that uh, you 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 should teach your daughters, because 
housewives were expected to know regular home remedies before you had to go to an expert like the the midwife there or one of the physicians who who could yes, use absolutely. It, the it's certainly one of the witchcraft. <laughs> One of the reasons that I've uh, devoted my life to restoring herbal medicine to its place as people's medicine, because all along it has been people's medicine. As you say, it wasn't like people studied to be herbalists. They just, well, if you were going to be a housewife, you were expected to know the, how to brew chamomile tea and how to grow mint and where to find the hyssop and where the cold soot was and when to harvest it. Those, those were just housewifely skills. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it showed not, up in books, not, too. There was a reference right. to a family dictionary that had recipes for, I guess, cooking recipes and medical recipes. Yes. Sheep sorrel is um, yes. a very delicious little bitty weed that mm-hmm. tastes uh, lemony. Uh, yeah, oh, and yes. it's, been cultiv- it's been cultivated through garden sorrel which has the same lemony taste. There you go. But if Margaret Jones gave it to you, you might have a, one might have a reaction. One might have a reaction to it. (laughs) Depending on how one felt about poor Margaret. (laughs) Uh, Well, I was once in a situation where someone was having a very strong reaction that I knew was not really being caused by physical substance, but was being caused, as you say, by that kind of fear and restriction and constriction. And Mm. so I offered her what I knew was a placebo, (laughs) right? Although it was was an herb and she was instantly cured. Oh, how how fortunate. (laughs) Well, yeah, because, you know, it goes both ways, right? Fear. You glare at them when you give it to them, and they get, or, you know, they get sick. You smile at them, and you say this will cure you, and they're cured. So, so as you say, she had, so she had a rough bedside manner. We got to watch that. Uh, I assume she I am, I, it's such a thrill to um, hear you talk about this and to know that it's um, something that. Um, can be understood in a way, um, maybe in a way that wasn't understood when it was actually happening mm-hmm. because it seemed like everybody was just carried along by it. I mean, I've um, read accounts uh, from the trials, which is staggering mm-hmm. with the, the things that are claimed and that um, that apparently, you know, this... Uh, uh, the evidence that can't be seen. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you could see yeah. their reactions of and and convulsions in court, but exactly the girls shrieking and black and blue marks appearing on their arms and yep. right. Yeah. Yeah. You had to be there. You had to be. However, we have come to the end of our time because it's huh? just a very short little window we get to spend together. So I'd like to well. ask you what you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everybody who's been listening to you tonight. And before I was that, would you let people know how they can get in touch with you or how they can find your books? Oh, well, uh, the books are on uh, 
what is it, Amazon and 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 sometimes in your bookstores. They're not they aren't recent, so you may have to order them. Uh, I do have a website, MarilynKRoach.com, spelled rather differently. M a r i l y n n e k r o a c h dot com, and there's a, a lot of links there to material uh, on the trials and other websites that tell you all sorts of things. But uh, as for a message, well, try not to panic <laughs> uh, the way Margaret Jones's patients did, and also remember that in that year. And every, so many people were just losing losing it. There were people who stood up and spoke for the accused and signed petitions. There were four petitions floating around. They were ignored, but uh, people did offer testimony in pe- in certain people's favor, people they knew and trusted, uh, and it didn't always work. But uh, some, you got to stand up and say what needs to be said. Stand up. Which can, which can be scary. Stand up for what you believe in, mm. especially when it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Marilyn K. Roach. Thank you for Thank helping you to so reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And Sarah Ellen and Justine, wherever you are, Thank you for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Good night, everybody, and green blessings. Thank you.